What has happened to a nation that used to fear the Lord? To a people whose foundation was built upon God's word. We've allowed the world's opinion to chart a different way. But it's time the church of Jesus Christ should boldly stand and say, God's word will stand against the raging tide of those who criticize and work their evil plans. God's word will stand against the gates of hell with power to prevail in the hearts of men. God's word will stand. They can take it from the courthouse walls, remove it from the schools, Teach our children that we're animals, speak against the golden rule. Try and hide our Christian heritage from the public eye. But they'll never overcome God's word, no matter how they try. God's word will stand against the raging tide of those who criticize and work their evil plans god's word will stand against the gates of hell with power to prevail in the hearts of men god's word will stand it is forever settled to evermore endure it's the only way a sinner's heart could ever be made pure. God's word will stand against the raging tide of those who criticize and work their evil plans. God's word will stand against the gates of hell with power to prevail in the hearts of men god's word will stand god's word will stand god's word will Put the mic on. <laughs> that was good. There we go. Man, that was good stuff. Amen. God's word will stand. Well, let's turn to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, we're going to begin there in just a moment. <clears throat> you can begin looking kind of in the area of verses 30, right in that range. That's kind of where we'll end up. But earlier in the chapter, where, from where we're going to begin reading, Jesus had constrained his disciples, and he had had them enter into a ship and go before him to the other side of the sea, the Sea of Galilee. And while they were at sea, of course, a storm forms. It seems like storms always form in the Christian life. But nonetheless, a storm formed, and they were tossed to and fro amidst the wind and the waves. And just when it seemed that they were in imminent danger, Jesus comes walking by on the water. What an amazing sight that had to be, I'm sure. They're afraid till ultimately they're convinced that it is Jesus. They even think at one point it might be a spirit. It couldn't possibly be Christ himself. Can I tell you that as believers, if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves questioning the Lord too from time to time. So they're convinced now that it's Jesus. And Peter, so convinced, even takes a step outside the boat and begins to walk toward the Lord. It's not until his eyes are diverted away from uh, the Lord Jesus Christ that he begins to sink. 
And all of a sudden he cries out, Lord, save me. And of course, Jesus reaches out and takes him and raises him up out of the water and onto the, sh- the boat again. The wind ceases and they worship Jesus Christ as they recognize him as the Son of God. An unusual man, this Jesus. An amazing man. God-man. And then we pick up in verse 34 of chapter 14. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gennesaret. When the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all that country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Father, we come to you. We ask that you'd speak to our hearts through your word tonight. May you encourage us again. We desperately need it. We're asking you to meet with us in a special way, in only a way that you can. So we commit the service into your hands, and we ask that you would once again encourage us and move us and motivate us, Father, to be better for you. May we be more like you. Now, Father, we ask that you would equip us tonight for the work at hand, for what you'd have for us. May we not waste our time this evening, but instead may we meet with you and may it truly be a time of gleaning and growing. We thank you again for your precious word and we thank you for your spirit. We thank you, Father, for just the fact that you love us. Now we need you tonight. We'll thank you for what you will do in Christ's name. Amen. I think it's interesting in verse 36... That the Bible says, and they besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched were made perfectly whole. They arrived there on that shore, and next thing you know, word travels that Jesus has arrived. They go about bringing family, friends, and loved ones to the master. And it says that only, that they might only touch the hem of his garment. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you could walk through a crowd and all those that touch the hem of your garment would be healed, would be made whole? This is exactly what's taking place. They believe that if they could only touch the hem of his garment, they'd be made whole. And so they lined them up, got them as close to Jesus as they possibly could. And it was as many as touched him. It wouldn't be the casual glance. It wouldn't be that distant observer that would be made perfectly whole. It would be the one who, it wouldn't be the one even who was on the front row. It had to be somebody close enough to Jesus to touch him. No one is healed. No one is helped. No one forever changed until they get close enough to touch the master. You know, if we're going to see folks come to Christ and be saved, if we're going to see folks' lives transformed and changed, they're going to have to get close enough to touch him. So what's it going to take to get folks close enough to touch the master? What's it going to require of you and I if we're going to really reach the world with the gospel, if we're going to help people, excuse me, get to the place where they can reach out and touch the master and be completely, totally healed and made whole. Well, I'm going to give you three simple thoughts tonight that I think are important and imperative in the church today. Things that we must do if we're going to see lives change for the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, it's going to take trust. It's going to take trust. Now, when Jesus stepped off that boat, The Bible tells us that men and women recognized him. They recognized who he was. And when they recognized who he was, they immediately left to gather their loved ones who had need. Now, they would go believing that if only they could get their loved one, their friend or their neighbor, close enough to Jesus Christ, they'd be healed. They believed that. They trusted that truth. They believed that if I could get my loved one who is in need close enough, 
He's never, he hasn't walked in years. His back is broken. He's in a bad situation. If I can only get my loved one close enough to Jesus, I trust he'll be saved. I trust he'll be made whole. And so they did. They went about reaching out and trying to get everyone they could, any friend, family member, neighbor, close enough to Jesus so that he could heal them. Now we have to trust that Jesus is the solution to every problem and situation as well. We have to come to the place where we trust that he alone is the answer for our loved one, our friends, our family members. Listen, there is no way in the world that you and I are going to reach our loved ones and our friends and our family members if we don't trust in the Lord ourselves, if we don't believe that he's the solution, if we don't believe that he's the answer. It's not going to happen. Early on in the book of Acts, the, the, the apostles are given a seemingly impossible task. In Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20, the Bible says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen? So their task, what was it? Well, to teach all nations. Their task, to baptize all nations. What the Lord Jesus Christ was basically saying, and we often refer to it as the Great Commission, was to simply go around to the entire world, offering the gospel to every single person, taking Jesus to them, and causing them to come to Jesus Christ so that they could be wholly healed. The apostles would go on to experience tremendous persecution. The devil would successfully manipulate the minds of the ungodly, causing them to view believers as the enemy. Sound familiar? They'd see the servants of the living God as being a threat to their way of life. They'd see them as enemies of the state, and they'd see them as troublemakers with a very closed mind and judgmental spirit. Doesn't it bother you when you begin to talk to people and try to help people, and you, you try to encourage them in the things of Christ, and they view you as the enemy? That bothers me. I hate that. Sadly enough, teenagers, you fall into that trap often too. You have a mom or a dad who's trying to keep you on the straight and narrow. You got a parent or a loved one that's trying to encourage you in the things of, that are right. You're try, they're trying to help you stay on the road to success in the Christian life and in your life in general. And sometimes you resent that. You don't appreciate it and you just despise it. You say to yourself, Come on, why are you being so mean to me? Why don't you just uh, leave me alone? I'm not doing anything that bad. And they're just simply trying to help. And it's not that they're doing anything wrong. They're not trying to ride you. They're not trying to get, stay on your back. However, that's how you see it because of your state of mind. And may I say that the devil is good at diluting the minds of the lost, causing the wicked to, find, to look upon the righteous as those that are the enemy. This is nothing new, and it continues to this day. As a result, they'd be subjected to a myriad of horrors. Of course, they'd face threats and mockings, prison, beatings, torture, and even the prospect of death. But facing such opposition demanded that their faith was strong. And as a result of that, they found themselves trusting in the Lord with even their lives. Fortunately, their faith had been increased by the appearance of the risen Savior following the crucifixion. We see in 1 Corinthians, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 3. We read, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he <clears throat> rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. 
these men and these women had seen the risen Savior. They had gotten close to Jesus Christ for a very short period after the resurrection. They had had the opportunity to see him alive and well. If we are going to reach this world, if we're going to truly impact our culture and our society the way God intended, it is imperative and it is important that you and I trust that Jesus is who he claims to be and that we believe he is the solution and the answer to every problem that exists in the culture and the world in which we live. And then we need to go out into this world and we need to reach out to those loved ones, family members and friends and say, listen, I have the answer. It's Jesus Christ. We have so many things that we turn to to meet the needs of mankind today. I mean, you would think that if this vaccine's going to work, then all of a sudden everything's going to be perfectly fine. We'll be able to get back to normal, whatever that is. But I'm going to tell you something. It's not a vaccine that the world needs today. It's Jesus Christ. And I mean to tell you, they're still telling us there's a chance President Trump could still win the election. But I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter in the long run who's in the White House because Jesus Christ is still on the throne. He's still in charge, and he's the answer. We look to mankind to solve our problems today. What is wrong with us? When Jesus came along to that shore, those people saw him, and they knew right then, this is the answer. He's the answer. And they ran out, and they got their family members. They got their loved ones. They brought them to Jesus. Because if I can only get them close enough to him, if only they can reach out and touch the hem of his garment, they'll be made whole. If maybe we can get just one more stimulus check, that'll solve the problem. Listen, we fall into the same traps the world does. We need to be careful that we don't lose sight of the answer, and it's Jesus Christ. These men could trust the Lord, and that's exactly what we need today if we hope to bring others close enough to touch the master. We're going to need to trust. It's going to take some trust. Number two, it's going to take some toil or travail. You know, there's nothing easy about getting people to Jesus Christ. There's nothing easy about it. I want you to turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 6, because in Mark chapter 6, there's what's called a parallel passage. It's, uh, we're going to see the same situation presented through the eyes of another writer. Mark chapter 6, verse 53. <clears throat> Here in Mark chapter 6, verse 53, we're going to read through verse 56. The Bible says, and when they had passed over, they came into the land of Gennesaret and drew to the shore. And when they were come out of the ship, straightway they knew him and ran through that whole region round about and began to carry about in beds those that were sick. Where did they take them? <laughs> Where they heard he was. And whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch, if it were but the border of his garment. As many as touched him were made whole. I want you to notice verse 55, and they ran throughout the whole region round about and began to carry about in beds those that were sick. I, I, I'm telling you, uh, it, it doesn't say that they... They had limousines or automobiles or some kind of planes to bring people in and land and lay them out on the streets. No, they had to carry them. Listen, uh, I'll be honest with you. Carrying people is not a lot of fun. You know, they, you show all these shows, whether they're war shows or the cowboys and the Indians, and someone gets a, you know, a wound in the leg and they can't walk, you know, and, and so then they take them and they lay them out on a stretcher, and then there's a couple people that, you know, they'll hook it to a horse and drag it, and if they lose their horse, then the people are dragging this thing along, pulling the, you know, the, the, the guy along here that's laid out on that stretcher. Let me tell you something. It looks real easy in the movies, but it's not in real life. 
And then they show firemen, you know, in these movies or something, throwing somebody over their shoulder. They call it a fireman's carry. Man, they're running down the steps, you know. And it looks like, man, look at him. He can do jumping jacks almost with that guy on his back. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't work that way. It don't work that way. It's a lot of work. Now, I want these two young men right here. Stand up. You're going to help me today. And they are going to go get their loved one and bring him to Jesus. I would say Brother Bob, but he looks too comfortable. <clears throat> so let's let it be Brother Josh in case they drop him. Because Brother Josh, he's so physically advanced. Go ahead, Brother Josh. You're going to be the poor guy who can't get to Jesus. Now, young men, these are young men, by the way, full of energy, full of life. I mean, it's going to be a cakewalk for them. Now, wait a second. I know we're going to pretend for just a moment that Jesus is up front. Brother Don, why don't you be Jesus for a moment? Because I, I wouldn't dare stand in that stead. <laughs> At least with you up here, there'll be no doubt you're not. Okay, so anyway, go ahead, if you would, to the back this time. I want you to go, no, I'll tell you, go back to that door. Because it's too easy here, okay? Go, go back to that door. That way you don't have to navigate steps. Because, you know, it'd be kind of rough. I wouldn't want you to fall and hurt, Brother Josh. Okay, now listen, here we go. Again, we're talking about it's going to require toil. If we're going to bring people to Jesus Christ, it's going to be a lot of work. It's not easy. Okay, fellas? Go ahead and just pick him up, bring him on down here, no problem, right? <laughs> Fellas, you get started any time. Okay, here we go. All right, slow down, slow down a little bit. All right, come on. Now keep on going. Come on, just keep going. Because right now, you don't stop yet because there's a traffic jam right here. You can't get him close enough. Take him back there and bring him back. <laughs> Look at their faces getting red. I mean, we're talking a matter of mere feet. All right, no, don't go up the steps, please. Here they come. Bring him back down. It looks like it's cleared out a little bit. He's slipping. Don't let him fall, brother. Look at Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. Okay. All right, now just set him down real nice and easy because if you set him down hard, oh, there he is. All right, now let me ask you, was that fun? No. He's like, it wasn't that fun. I mean, you guys are young, you're strong, look at you. I mean, look at these guys. You can, guys can go back to your seat. But I'm just, the whole point, thank you, Don. The whole point is, is that it took a lot of work. It took toil, it took some effort. You know, if we're ever going to reach the world with the gospel, it will not happen by chance or accident. I mean, I, I get it. We've got to pray. I get it. We've got to get God in on this thing. But we also know that he told us to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He's given us some marching orders, and therefore those marching orders have to be fulfilled. If we expect God to fulfill his end of the bargain, we've got to take care of our end of the bargain. Let me tell you, it's toil. It's work. I mean, you carry somebody like that long enough, you carry anybody like that long enough, you're going to run into some real issues. It's going to require some strength. It's going to require some stamina. It's going to require some sweat. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 61, please. Now, let's consider the prophetic passage spoken by Jesus while he was in the temple. He kind of outlines for us what his purpose is as he's here on earth. He begins to, he starts with this passage in Isaiah 61. Notice what he says in Isaiah 61. <clears throat> in Isaiah 61 verse 1, again, this is the prophetical side of it. He says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach Good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to open up the prison to them that are bound. Now again, there's a list of things here that he's going to be accomplishing here. And we know that when he arrives uh, in the temple, he begins to share that, and he makes it very clear that he's a fulfillment of this passage. Now, notice what he, what's, what's taking place. He has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. But he continues there. He doesn't stop there. He is sent to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. There is a temptation 
that exists in the church to only fulfill the first of these objectives. Now, I'm just going to say, again, it would be really wonderful we get even more people to do just the first one. But if there is something that we many times as believers, and I believe here at Community Baptist Temple try to accomplish, it's to proclaim or to preach good tidings unto the meek. Preaching is the icing on the cake. I guess what I'm saying is is this. Of all of those things, if you said, which one of those would you like to be in charge of? Which one of those do you want as your responsibility? I'd say, I'll take number one. Well, why would I take number one? Well, because binding up the brokenhearted, I believe, is a lot more difficult than just simply preaching a message of hope. Good tidings are easy to preach. I like telling people the good things. I love that. That's wonderful. Let me tell you, I enjoy preaching. That's something I love to do. I like teaching a Sunday school class. I like those things. Those are wonderful. You know what's difficult? Following up. You know what's tough? Going after them. You know what's tough? Helping them when they're hurting. That's the work. That's the tough time. That's the toil. He says, proclaim liberty to the captives. These people are captive. They're bound by sin. Do you realize that just preaching a simple message of hope may not deliver them? You're going to take a little bit of work. You're going to have to do it over and over and over again. You're going to have to stick with it. You can't just quit once, twice, or three times. You've got to keep going. And so do I. He says, in the opening of the prison to them that are bound. And I'm happy to stand and preach the gospel message. It's the rest of that stuff that's really hard. I don't know, I don't, I don't see a bunch of preachers having a problem preaching on Sunday. I don't see preachers having a problem even maybe on a Wednesday night or a Thursday night or a Tuesday night service. I certainly don't see a problem with evangelists that go into churches and preach revivals, man. I, I don't see them having a problem with the preaching. It's not the preaching that's the problem. It's the rest of the work. That's the toil. That's the real burden, if you will. That's the sweat, blood, and tears. Hey, Jesus is here. Come if you can. Nobody showed up. Wonder why? Because they can't get here on their own. Those people were already in beds. They were already afflicted. They couldn't make it. Grandma's back there hurting. She can't get, walk a mile or two. She's over there with a hip, and she's like, oh, man. And, and it's about the time she arrives. Jesus is gone. You've got Uncle Jimmy who was in an accident and his back's broken and he can't even get out of bed. Hey, come on. Jesus is down here. Y'all want healed? Just come on in. Anybody can invite somebody to church. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm telling you, that's a good thing to do. But let me tell you, the work is when you go pick them up and bring them in. Well, I don't want to do that. I, exactly. Hey, these young men got a little bit tired holding this fellow up, carrying him around the auditorium, just a few feet. Can you imagine? There you are in the times of Jesus on those dusty trails of Galilee, and you're carrying somebody through those little rocky places and hills, up and down and over and around. Got to get them to Jesus. They got to get close enough to touch him. Oh, that's all right. Just leave them at home. They'll watch something on TV that'll reach them for Christ. Really? You and I both know that television has nothing to offer them in a ways of spiritual fulfillment or edification. Man, we got to get them in the presence of Jesus Christ. It's going to take some toil and travail. Bind up the brokenhearted. Proclaim liberty to the captives. Open the prison to them that are bound. That's the essence of spiritual warfare. That's, the truth is that's the real battle. And it goes far beyond sharing the gospel with those that want to hear. Man, for us, it's difficult enough just to open up a Bible, just to tell somebody about Jesus. But I'm telling you, that's not where the battle ends. That's really the easy part. See, the real battle, the real spiritual warfare comes when we go behind enemy lines to rescue those who are hurting and in need of help. When we enter into Satan's domain, he is a harsh taskmaster. And you know, his only pleasure is found in destructing and destroying people. 
In John 10.10, 10, he says, the thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. That is, is a picture of Satan. That is him. That, that's the God of this world, little g-God. He wants nothing good for anyone. He is quite content to see them on the outside looking in. He's quite content to watch them suffer in their homes. Oh yeah, give them something. Make them a little more comfortable, but don't heal them and don't make them whole. The moment we go and we start reaching out to them in their doors and we start pulling them in and we start bringing them to Jesus, I promise you the enemy's going to fight tooth and nail. Send out your cards all you want. Go ahead. Invite them to church. I'll keep them busy and distracted enough. Sending out thousands and thousands and thousands of flyers. I'm not against it. I'm not opposed to it. There's all kind of opportunities that we must take advantage of. But I promise you this. It will be personal contact that's going to make the difference in a life. It won't just be a flyer, and it won't just be a track necessarily, although we know in our midst even we have a preacher in our midst who was reached with tracks. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but he is one of many. If I had a hand that was raised around this auditorium right now and said, how did you come to Christ? Most of you would have to say, somebody. Or I ended up in God's house, or I heard a message. That's the way it works. And you know what? That's a lot of work. Well, you cross enemy lines with a determination to heal and to help bind the wounded, to proclaim a message of hope to those enslaved, to rescue those imprisoned by Satan, you can expect serious opposition. It's hard work, and it demands devotion and determination to reach out to those who will never be able to get to the Lord without your help. Again, they began to carry about in beds those that were sick. <laughs> they picked them up and carried them to Jesus. But, but remember what it took. It took trust. They had to believe he was the answer. He was the solution. And they did. So much so that they were willing to put in the toil and the travail. Here's the question then for this point. How inconvenienced are you willing to be in order to get someone close enough to the master to be transformed and changed forever? I mean, how much time are you willing to spend? How much talent, your talent, will you give in order to see that happen? How much of your treasure are you willing to part with? I'm asking how inconvenienced are you willing to be to bring friends, family, and loved ones into the presence of Christ so that they can be made whole. That's something we all need to ask ourselves. Number three, we've already noted two things. We said, okay, if, you know, if we're really going to get people to the master, if we're really going to make a difference in lives, then it's going to take some trust. It's going to take some toil and travail. Can I tell you, it's going to take some teamwork. Would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12? <clears throat> I wonder how many people died and went to hell because the church was closed up all year last year. I'm not talking about our church. I'm talking about churches across this country and some around the world. You got missionaries sitting on their hands because they're afraid of the government telling them that they're going to send them to jail. Now listen, I'm not saying don't. Maybe send your family home and you stay, sir. I'm just saying, if we don't get out there and do something to reach the world with the gospel, they will die and go to hell. Do we believe that or don't we? I'm just saying, at what point do we say it's enough's enough? There are people still that need Christ and he's still the only answer. It's not a mask on your face and it's not some medication and it's not some vaccine and it's certainly not a stimulus check. It's gonna be Jesus Christ that changes the life. I'm not saying be stupid, reckless, or ignorant. I'm just saying that we need to get back to the business of reaching the world with the gospel again. And if you are totally incapable of doing so as a believer on the foreign field, then come home and do it here where there's still some liberty. But somebody's got to reach somebody. 
1 Corinthians 12, 12. He says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Now, I think the passage is pretty self-explanatory here. I think it's obvious to see that what he's talking about is, is that the church, the local church, is a body. We gather together, and we can argue and debate all day long whether there's a universal body, but honestly, does it even serve a purpose when you consider that no universal pastor is going to do your funeral? I'm just saying, we can debate it all day, but I promise you God works through local churches, not a universal church in this dispensation in which we live. And so we see that the local body is nothing less than a body, and that every member is placed in that body, and we're going to see in chapter 12, verse 18, just a few verses later, but now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. So every single one of us in this place are to be placed in the body. He has put us somewhere with a purpose. You and I are here to edify and to ultimately build up the body. It is not my greatest responsibility on earth to meet the needs of my family. My greatest responsibility on earth is to be everything God intended me to be and to ultimately be a blessing to the house of God, the people of God, and the work of God. And if I will do that, God will take care of my family. We are so bent on what's mine, what's mine, what's mine, that we lose sight of what God says is most important, and that's the body of Jesus Christ. He says that the marriage is a picture of Christ and the bride. And he says, this is how you ought to function and how you ought to live. Can I tell you when a Christian does not fulfill their purpose and their calling in the ministry at the local church level, then the whole body suffers. And if the body suffers, then the body does not glorify Christ as it was intended to do. When it's all said and done, when you stand before Christ and I stand before Christ, it will be based, the, when it's all said and done, it's all gonna, what's going to really matter is whether I was Christ-like and brought glory and honor to him. He will not care if I was the best preacher in the world. He's not going to care if you were the best doctor in the world when it's all said and done. He's going to ask you, what did you do with the talents, the abilities, and the gifts that I gave you? How did you magnify the body? How did you lift up the body? How did you build the body? How did you make it look better to the world? When these young people and some of these older folks get up here and sing, and they do a fabulous job because they put forth effort and they use their talents on behalf of God, it edifies the church. It builds up the church. But if for some reason they're not doing it to build up the church and ultimately they do it just for themselves, I promise you in eternity it will mean nothing. God wants the church to be built up. This is a family. This is a body. We get pretty selfish with our time. We get pretty selfish with our talents. We get pretty selfish with our treasures. Now listen, we, we are blessed at a church that people are givers. I mean, I, I can't believe it. We don't have any multimillionaires here. And yet the Lord blessed us this year. We met our budget and exceeded it, even in the midst of all this mess. That's, God's, that's God blessing the church through the faithfulness of his people. I, listen, I'm not, gonna, I'm not knocking somebody. I'm not trying to rip people down or hurt them. I'm telling you, I am grateful to God for the faithfulness of his people. But my friend, let me tell you this. It ain't over yet. There's still a world in need of the gospel, and they will not reach, they will not be made whole unless we bring them to him. If we're waiting for them to come on their own, it won't happen, and it's going to take some trust. We got to trust and believe that Jesus Christ is the answer and the solution, so much so that we are willing to sweat, toil, and travail. And then we got to work as a team. One person in this church will not make the difference. We're a machine working together. All the wheels have to turn together. Everything has to fit together. We're a body. The, the fingers and the hands and the wrists and the arms, they're not all the same, but they are all part of one. Older folks in the church, you say, I can't do what I used to do, but you can do something. Your position or place in the body may not be what it used to be, but you serve a purpose and you have a place. 
Don't check out. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't step away and say, well, it's time for the young people to take care of the ministry. No, it isn't. Until you stop breathing, my friend, you have a responsibility to the body. So do I. Because that's what honors Christ. His church. His bride. We got to work together. Everyone has to work together. Everyone pulls their weight. Everyone firing on all cylinders. See, an out-of-towner, he drove his car into a ditch. Pretty isolated area, actually, out in the country. Fortunately for him, there was a local farmer that came to help him with his big, strong horse named Buddy. He hitched up Buddy to the car and he yelled, Pull, Nelly, pull! Buddy didn't move a lick. Then the farmer hollered, Pull, Buster, pull! Once again, Buddy just stood there. He didn't respond. Again, the farmer, he commanded, he said, Pull, Coco, pull! Nothing. I mean nothing. Then the farmer nonchalantly said, pull, buddy, pull. And the horse just drug the car out of the ditch. That motorist that was found in the ditch, he, he was extremely appreciative, but he was also rather curious. He, he asked the farmer, he said, well, why'd you call your horse by the wrong name three times? I mean, why'd you do that? Why'd you call those other names? He said, oh, Buddy's blind, and if he thought he's the only one pulling, he wouldn't even try. <laughs> you, you know, you and I have all been there, haven't we? You know how it is. You're, you're the only one working. You're the only one toiling. You're the only one that's given it all your, all your effort. And you think to yourself, why even try? Useless. It's interesting how God designed the local church. And, and there's reasons why he tells us that we must come together. Look, if you would, in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, because I think we often forget verse 24. We always are quick to turn to 25 that says, forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. But we skip verse 24 that is absolutely necessary to understanding the reason for verse 25. If we ever hope to fulfill the calling as a church body, then we must understand it's going to take teamwork. Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. That's verse 24. That's the setup for verse 25. That's why it's important that we assemble together. Not because you have to sit under my messages. Not because pastor's going to have his feelings hurt if you don't show up to church. That's not it. Just keep giving and I'll be all right. (laughs) I'm telling you, sometimes we think the craziest thoughts. It has nothing to do. Look at verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Where do you receive the encouragement you need to keep on going and to not quit? You're looking at them. Do you know everybody in the room has burdens they carry? Everybody in the room is facing some difficult times? Oh, you don't know what difficult times are. I promise you, you look far enough in this church house, you'll find somebody that's been through what you have or worse. And man, let me tell you, it is comforting to know that the Lord Jesus Christ brought them through. And for them to say, brother, sister, I don't know what you're going through, maybe 100%, but I've been through a few things too. I want to encourage you to keep on going. Jesus is real. He met my need and he'll meet yours too. Well, we need each other. We need to provoke one another to love and to good works. It's going to take some teamwork. If we're going to get folks close enough to touch the master and to be touched by him, it's going to take a little bit of toil, a little bit of work. It's going to take some teamwork. And it's going to take some trust. We've got to believe he's the only answer. 
If there are any other options available to you and I, if we believe there's any other way that people can be saved, helped, or made whole without Jesus, the devil will be able to twist that flesh into believing, I don't need to take a step. Why work so hard? It's not that necessary. There are other options. But if there is no other way, then we've got to bring them to Jesus. What's that going to take? A lot of hard work. It's 2021. Can I just say it this way? We've been off since March. And, And I'm talking about our church. Oh, we've been having services and we've done some pass outs and we've been going through the community and doing this and that. We've had Bible clubs in certain areas and and our bus ministry, our captains continue to visit all of their kids every week. I get all that. I understand that we've been sticking with it and staying at it, but we have not been reaching out and going and getting people like we used to. Can, Can I just say this? Pastor's not worried about the church dwindling to nothing. I'm not. That's not my great concern. Well, if we don't get at it, we're not going to have people in the pews. We don't get at it, we're not going to have numbers in the, the house of God. If we don't get at it, we're not going to have money to pay the bills. I'm not worried about that. We've got more money in the bank than we've ever had. Honestly, I, I sit in awe of it. I remember for years and years and years, and it wasn't that long ago, maybe just three years ago, if we had 10 grand in the bank account, I felt like, wow, we're doing well. $10,000 in a building fund, like in a, in a, a church like this. Can you imagine, what does 10000 pay for in a building like this now? Oh, well, you had a lot of money, 10 grand. I wish I had 10 grand in my house. This house seats 400, 500, 600 people, as you can see. And if we want, we could fill it up. I guarantee you we could have 1,000 in this building if we have to. Can I tell you that God said it's going to take a little bit more to run this house than it does to run yours? And that's why the budget is what it is. But can I tell you, God met our needs through all these years. We don't just have 10,000 or 20,000 or 50,000. We got a couple hundred thousand now. You say, well, I just spend that to reach the world. Well, we got to put a parking lot in first or you'll stop coming. I'm, not, I'm trying to be funny, but you didn't laugh because you must have thought I was serious. <laughs> I was just trying to make a joke. It wasn't a very good one, obviously. <laughs> Some of you are like, wow, he just ripped us. <laughs> no, I'm, we need a parking lot. I'm not lying. <laughs> we do, don't we? I'm not saying that it's wrong to have a, a nice parking lot. We got a few dollars in that account, too. We want to start those two churches. Man, I want to start two churches. I do. I want to see it happen this year. Listen, we we got to work. This is going to take some work. We got to get people to Jesus. I promise you this. No matter what you're going through in life, no matter how great your burden is, I promise you this. If you will take the time and you would reach out, and God would use you to impact a life, to change a life through the word of God and through Jesus Christ, your problems will seem a lot less large than they are. Man, we live with problems, and we just continue to wallow in them. But when we take our eyes off of ourselves and put them on those that are in greater need than ours, and we bring them to Jesus, and we watch his supernatural touch, do a miracle in their life. Wow. All of a sudden, we've got a reason to live. It's not us anymore. It'll change your life. Question as we close. If the world needs to get close enough to touch the hem of his garment, don't you think it's important that you get close enough to do the same? How do we do that? We could go through the room and make suggestions today, but let's be honest. Being here tonight's a good way to get that going. You're doing, that's good. You're doing well. Get in this book, the Word of God. Get on your knees in prayer. Spend time thinking about him and meditating on the Lord Jesus Christ and how wonderful and good he is. Think about when you were saved and how God transformed and changed you. 
Preacher, it's different today. You can't get people saved and watch them come to church, get baptized, and ultimately have standards and live a life that's separated from the world. That doesn't happen no more. Did it work on you? You're here. It still works because he's the one that works it. We got to get them close enough to him. It's going to take trust. It's going to take toil. It's going to take teamwork. Let's get the job done and let's bring glory and honor to Christ. I'll step down. If it's a matter of him not getting glory, I'll step down. I'll go, I'll go pastor in some backwoods church with 20 people. I don't care. I really don't care. I'll do whatever he wants me to do. If he told me to go to mission field today, I'll go. I'll go today. I want him to be glorified. I want the world to see Jesus in me, and I want him to see Jesus in this place. Got to get him close enough. Get him close enough, and God will make them whole. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Father, for your love, your grace, and mercy, and we ask, Lord, tonight that you would just speak to our hearts. Thank you for the simplicity of your word, and Lord, you, you don't make things complicated. We do, and we just ask that you'd help us, Lord, to be willing to pay the price to bring our friends, our family, and our loved ones to, to you, to get them close enough so that they can reach out and touch you, and then you can touch them in return. You said if we draw nigh to you, you'll draw nigh to us. Father, help us as a church body to say we're going to work together. We're going to strive. We're going to sweat. We're going we're gonna to stick with it. We're going to stay at it because there's a world in need. Help us, Lord, just to continue to soldier on. Lord, there might be someone's lost without Jesus Christ tonight. They don't know for sure heaven's their home. They haven't settled their soul salvation. I pray, Lord, that you'd convict them of their sin and show them their need of Jesus. He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. I pray that they would recognize that. I pray that they'd realize that God loves them so much that he sent his only begotten son. That if simply they believe in him and trust in his finished work on Calvary, they could have everlasting life. You're lost today without Christ. Won't you simply come? Simply make your way to the altar. I'll, I'll be glad to have someone take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure heaven's your home. Maybe you're a child of God tonight. You'd say, you know, I have some friend, friends, family, and loved ones that, well, I haven't been quite uh, as aggressive as maybe I should. I haven't really sought after them. I I kind of got a little lazy. <laughs> Let me tell you what, laziness is natural for us in our human state. This old flesh is lazy. And all of us find ourselves there to some degree or another at times. But let's not continue in that vein. This is 2021. We're going to have to step it up. We're going to have to work. We're going to have to toil, trust, have to work as a team.